everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where a bunch of writers sit around, drink tasty beverages, and talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your host writers today are Chaz Brenchley, John Schmidt, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 128, an interview with Jerry Wheeler. Welcome, Jerry. Hello. Thank you for, uh, thank you for asking me. Oh, it's a delight. You come to, you have a little bit of familiarity to a couple of us. Um, one, I know that you went to the University of Colorado in Boulder. Go Buffs. Yes, go Buffs. <laughs> and you are also a Lambda Award winner, like Chaz. So you guys have a certain writing overlap in common over there. Correct? Oh, I'm not an award winner. <laughs> I'm, I've been shortlisted three times, uh, always a bridesmaid, but never a bride. But I haven't actually won yet. Well, Maybe this will do it. I think finalist counts. Yeah, absolutely. To achieve the shortlist, especially for an award that, what's the word? Respect. Prestigious? Yes, prestigious. Thank you. <laughs> Just getting on the shortlist is, is a major achievement. It is. But that's that's a win in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly so. Everybody's a winner. Well, I, and I, then I've been to New York uh, to, to take part in the awards twice uh-huh. um, and both times I was like oh, all of this money all of this hotel bills for nothing <laughs> yeah Ian Rankin and I used to have an agreement whereby whenever we were on the same shortlist this is back when I wrote crime stories but whenever we were on the same shortlist he would win <laughs> and it happened <laughs> over and over again which was very frustrating but at the same time you know as you say you're spending all that money but having a lovely time yes the the uh the, the whole lambda experience was really really educational mm-hmm. for the readers that don't or the listeners rather that don't know that much about the lambdas why don't you guys tell us about the lambda awards because there may be people who don't know they can go look up lambda award winners to find things to read what a very good idea that is yes so the lambdas basically lgbt lgbtq and a string of further letters i guess with many categories jerry can you remember so, I mean, mine, mine, I, I, I won for Best Gay Collection or something. Um, I was shortlisted in Best Gay Erotica twice. And then once, I believe, in the Spec Fic category. Oh. But with the Lambdas, they, they seem to be now combining lesbian and gay into one big category, like I think the uh, the controversy last year was that they had combined lesbian and gay mysteries into LGBTQ mysteries. What? Okay. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, or does it make a difference? Or I think it's a bad thing because <clears throat> it cuts down on the number of voices that we can celebrate. I suppose so, because there's only a limited number of of people you can have for. I know they have the gay erotica and lesbian erotica, but it looks like when you get to anthology, drama, graphic novels, they just say LGBT. Well, you know, I I, I firmly believe that probably sometime in the next five years, all of the categories are going to be LGBTQ, and there's not going to be any any separateness. Right. I I just checked mine and it is LGBT for science fiction, fantasy slash horror. Right. 
So is Alison Bechdel who won in the humor category, did she the one who originated the Bechdel test? Yes. Yes. That's fantastic. So everybody who knows the Bechdel test, which is do two girls talk in a movie to each other, not about men, which we saw recently in Black Widow when the girl and her sister were talking about pockets in their vests because pockets <laughs> are, this is a very important topic to women, okay? You guys can laugh, but it's real. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very aware. Yeah, I'm not laughing at all. And, and I think that perfectly proves the point that although some categories, like not to dish you, Chaz, but size fiction and horror could be L- LBGTQ. But when you go to things that are a little more specifically like erotica, mm-hmm. the difference between gay and lesbian and trans queer is big enough that I, I have to agree with Jerry. You should have separate categories. Absolutely. Yeah, I do, too. So here's a question. I am mostly straight, but I have a, this amazing thing for Selma Hayek, like much of the planet. <laughs> if, if I wrote the story about how I saved her life from evil robots and she fell madly in love with me and he lived happily ever after in a post-apocalyptic world, would that be the kind of story or do I personally have to be avowed one member or the other? Or how does it judged? Is it judged on the story merit or is it judged a little bit with the author as well? I can't remember. Do you have to identify as LGBTQ to qualify? I don't know. Um, I believe so, but that that may not be true, especially with romance, because very uh, because many straight women write um, yeah. male male romance. Yeah, I just I just don't know the answer. I should know the answer to that, obviously, and I don't. Hmm. Someone will. Ping us and tell us. Excellent. If somebody wants to write in or call in and let us know, we would be glad for that summary or connection. Ideally, somebody on the Lambda Committee. Yeah. How um, do you get yourselves on the Lambda Committee, by the way? <laughs> again, um, uh, yeah. Actually, I judged. I judged a couple, th- a couple, three years. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Were you, were, you, were you invited or did you, did you apply? When I was... Uh, when I was nominated, when I was shortlisted, yeah. um, they had invited me to, uh, to to judge the next year and then the year after that. Very cool. Well, you also have a bit of history. Don't you do queer book reviews out in print? I do at outinprint.com. Tell us about it. Well, I've been doing that since 2009. So my blog is one of the oldest ones out there. And I generally review LGBTQI independently published stuff. I get a lot of stuff from uh, <clears throat> from the big five, but I really don't. I just dismiss those out of hand because the big five can get reviewed anywhere. <laughs> but indies, indies and, uh, and small publishers and self-publishers can't. And they need all the help that they can get. Clarification question, the big five or the big five publishing houses? Yes. Thank you. Oh, we have you been and looked at a copy of uh, Kale Gallagher's hat trick yet? As we recently interviewed her as a, uh, it is a romantic lesbian hockey novel, which I, of course, means I love it because half of my girls on the team, you know, go both ways. And of course, hockey. Right. Who published that? I'm not sure, but it wasn't a big one. <laughs> I thought she um, self-published. 
Yeah. Was it self-published? Some some of the self-published ones I don't hear about because they don't hear about me. No, I'm sorry. She didn't self-publish, but it is a small press yeah. specializing in lesbian romances. I don't right. have the exact name in front of me. I'll look for it. I'll, I'll look for it. If I don't, if I don't see it in connection with with my blog, um, I'm also a judge of the Pharaoh Grumley Awards this year. Uh, oh, which awards? Pharaoh Grumley Awards. They're put it. It's done by the Publishing Triangle in New York City. This I don't know these at all. Well, she was published through Affinity Rainbow Publications. So Affinity Rainbow yeah. doesn't ring a bell, but um, I could check that out. <laughs> I'll send you a copy. Yeah, tell please. Me, tell me when you do your own editing business. There's a lot of interesting things on editing. There are people that just want, you know, line edits, plot edits, character. When you sit down and start to edit with somebody, what kind of talks do you have in advance? Well, generally what I do is I provide like a 10,000 word free sample edit. And uh, once I get that done and get that back to the client, then we have a discussion over how much work is going to involve me, what they want done. And then once those items are settled, then I can set a price and give them a, uh, give them a, a, a spot on the calendar and we go from there. Do you, do you price by the hour or by the page? Neither. I price by the manuscript. Okay. Because each manuscript is different. Right. And we'll need different levels of work. That's right. That's, that's very right. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the way I run the business. So far, it seems to be doing well. And then I have, some, I have some private clients. I have some repeat business. I have a lot of repeat business. And then I also uh, edit for Bold Strokes Books, which is a lesbian press. Right. They also do uh, male books, too. That's neat. When you, so I like how you get you know, multiple revenue streams. Makes perfect sense to me. It's essential these days, especially with COVID, when you can't go out of the house. Right. I have to ask a slightly tacky question. Does Bold Strokes Books publish erotica and romances? Uh, women's, yes. They don't do a whole lot of gay erotica just because it doesn't seem to sell for some reason. I, the name is genius for the, the field. Yeah, <laughs> done by uh, by Radcliffe. Uh, if anybody knows uh, Radcliffe and and her connection with with lesbian romance, um, and that's basically that's the mainstay of the press is lesbian romance. So you, I'm looking at your history of all of the things. It looks like you started in short stories and editing and all the pieces. You actually wrote a full novel, The Dead Book. Or are you on a second? Actually, that's kind of been shelved <clears throat> because the dead book is, it was a good idea, but there were some, there were flashback sequences. And then I wanted to put a main story to frame it, but I could never find a main story. I could never find a frame story that didn't sound contrived. So what I've done is I've actually just cannibalized it and I'm, I'm pumping the, uh, the flashback sections up and I'm going to string those together. That's uh, that's in the future. Right now, I'm I'm kind of stuck. Actually, I'm at that point where I've just finished a novel. It's just out. I'm doing promo, and I can't write yet. 
<laughs> I know I know the feeling. So, so tell us about the new book. The new book is called Pangs, P-A-N-G-S. I could give you a summary of it, but let me just read you the back of the the uh, the back blurb that I wrote because it took me like two weeks to write. <laughs> and thank you for pointing out to all the new writers listening that this can be a super hard thing to write your fast synopsis. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. So the book, the back blurb states, unlike their blood brethren, Warner and Seth are vampires who subsist on talent. They've been enemies for centuries, competing to feed on artists with the most prodigious musical gifts. And a country, blue, country blues singer, Wade Dixon, is no exception. But the pursuit and capture of Dixon unleashes unexpected forces that carry these combatants from the earthly realm to a dangerous land of eternal night where they must work together or die alone. <laughs> That's nice. That's delightful. <laughs> oh, and I got some great, uh, I got some great, um, back cover blurbs from Tom Cardamon, who is a Lammy Award winner for yeah. Green Thumb, and uh, from Lee Thomas. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So as a question on that, do you consider then, do you write a lot of fantasy or contemporary romance? Tell me about uh, the genres that you explore. Well, this is actually the first fantasy vampire kind of thing that I've done. And it's because I did the, the, the novel is in three parts. The first part was actually a novella that ended my short story collection from 2012. One of the things I got shortlisted for in the Lammies. And I love the characters, Warner and Seth. And I always somehow had a feeling that I wasn't finished with them or they weren't finished with me as the case may be. And then when the dead book started to go awry, I just kind of put that project aside and I said, you know, maybe I, maybe I can go back to my vampires. <laughs> and I did. I went back to the vampires and I wrote the other, uh, the, the, the last two parts of the, uh, the book. Had some difficulties with a publisher over it. And I decided not to do it with that house. So right now, I'm, it's, it's out from Rebel Satori, uh, which is Sven Davison and Joseph Campbell. They are, it's a great publishing house. They're, the imprint that I'm on is Queer Space. So it was, it was a really, really good experience. I have had nothing but fun getting through this book. And I had a lot of fun so far promoting it and and Sven and, and Joseph have been wonderful to work with so far. So I have nothing but great things to say about them. That's lovely. Now, somewhere in there, you had said that you start with a title, which some of us think can be like incredibly hard. So where did you, where did you get, is it just pangs because it was fangs, but tell us a little about it. Well, the, uh, the first part of the book, I had originally had in my uh, in my short story collection ended with uh, with a conflict and the main vampire not being able to feed. Okay, so, so hunger he pangs. Had, so he had hunger pangs. Exactly. That's right. where that that's where that title came from. Okay, short story collection. Tell us about that a bit. Strawberries and other erotic fruits. 
Thank you. <laughs> I, I have had people tell me very dirty strawberry stories over the years. <laughs> and it's mostly, uh, mostly erotica, but it's erotica with a twist because I just, the, the sex part of erotica by itself is, is kind of boring. To me, it's a challenge of, of what you can do with it, how you can get to it, how you can get out of it. Ooh. And uh, that's that's where most of those short stories came from. Uh, there's also a couple of personal essays. So uh, it's not quite the same thing all at once. But yeah, it was a, it was a good seller. When I broke up with my publishing house, tell you about before, I actually took back the rights and I reissued it myself through Kindle. Okay. I, I was going to say, I love a bunch of your titles. I wanted to read them for people to get them excited to go look them up. The Gay Erotic Tales Under the Big Top, Riding the Rails, Locomotive Lust, and Carnal Cabooses. I, in particular, I love Carnal Cabooses. <laughs> <laughs> Their Dirty Diner, Gay Erotica on the Menu. Those, it's just so much fun. <laughs> oh, well, the, the Dirty Diner was, I think, I think out of the collections that I did for Bold Strokes and for the other publishing house, I think Dirty Diner was probably my favorite because I found so many great stories. It, you know, you put out a call to edit an anthology and it's dicey what you get. You know, sometimes you get great things. Sometimes you get things that don't belong (laughs) and uh and that was in that all came together and all everything seemed to work there i thought did did you did you just have an open call for stories or or were some of the authors invited most of them were invited open calls are open calls are kind of (laughs) sketchy a tinted gay erotic tales from under the big top was also just Again, I think the cleverness of the title immediately leads one to want to pick up the book and say, okay, I got to read these. Well, how would you not want to read Circus Erotica? Right? (laughs) For for all those of us that have ever gone to Cirque du Soleil and said, they have to be sleeping together, those two. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, other than if if they aren't, there is no God. That's, That's just all there is to it. That's true. And the dead book. Tell us about the dead. Oh, the dead book stopped, or yeah, the dead book you stopped. Your- well, I, I, the uh, my thing with the dead book was uh, when my partner died several years ago. During the funeral service, the rabbi was talking about the fact that our lives are shaped by the deaths that we experience. Mm-hmm. So. I got the idea to do a whole bunch of flashback chapters regarding the deaths that this one gay couple experienced. These two guys met each other when they were like eight years old, were friends and then lovers as, as puberty set in. And this is, and it's basically a series of flashbacks about the deaths that they've experienced in their life as a couple. So instead of a flashback, you said you were going back and reconsidering the whole thing. Are you then thinking, is um, it really flashbacks at all? Or are you just going to do a chronological story of two boys that grew up together? I'm going to string the flashback chapters together because altogether I've got like maybe 50,000 words. How do you decide when you have more flashback than, than current that maybe you're not writing the right book? I haven't. 
That's why. <laughs> that's why the project kind of been shelved. Cool. <laughs> what is and now you? You generally, I read somewhere in another interview that you like to write in the morning. How do you prepare yourself and sit down? Do you read back a little bit? Do you have to refall in love with your characters every day, or how do you do it? Sometimes I go back and and reread and work on what I've done the day before. You know, which usually gets me gets the juices going and uh, and allows me to plow right past that point and go on to something else. Sometimes I just edit <laughs> and I just edit and then shut the computer off. <laughs> I, I think editing counts. I mean, when people are trying to do a word count of I'm, I want to do 100 a day, 500 a day, 1,000 a day, I think editing ought to count as part of that labor. Yeah, you can certainly count the words you cut. I can't. I can't do uh, do a daily word count. I tried and tried and tried, but I find myself. Sometimes I find myself putting words down just to put words down, and that's not very productive for me. I, I like to think. I, I I write slowly, but I don't edit myself a whole lot. So I write slowly, but I write for keeps. Okay. Okay. Are you? Uh, Longhand or faithful computer writer? I'm a faithful computer writer. I admire those people that can do it longhand, but I just get tired. <laughs> I hear you. My my hands get tired just holding a pen that long. I'm I'm in the early arthritis stages, so. Yep, me too. Right. <laughs> so typing is easier. All right. So you are an editor. How do you edit yourself, or do you? Uh, yes, I do. Editing myself is, I try to, um, I try very hard to stick with not permitting myself to do things that I don't permit my clients to do. <laughs> Such as? Oh, <laughs> just. I mean, you make that sound dirty. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I tend to cut out a lot of that's and a lot of justs, uh, a lot of unessential words. Oh, um, just. Yes, just, just as I do word searches on just to find everywhere I used it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and then I, I also try to look at the structure at the same time. Um, but, you know, as, as a writer, I don't think I edit myself as well as I could. When I finished Pangs and I set it into queer space, Joseph Campbell came back and I, I was like, oh, what, when can we get this out? Da, 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 da. And Joe Campbell came back and said, well, let's uh, let's do the first pass of edits. And I'm like, edits? edits? <laughs> OK. Uh, and he had some really valuable things to say. So I'm like, oh, OK. Yeah. So I was trying very hard not to be that guy. <laughs> I, I feel you. I had a, a novel that I was working on and I sent it off to, to, you know, pay a pro to look at something who doesn't know or like me so that they can be ruthless. And I got back, a, this is a really nice first draft. And it was a little crushing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that question. What are you going to do with this now? I, oh, I thought I'd done it already. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, it's it's useful to have that other outside person who can't see all the things in your brain, look at it from like blank slate instead of all of the thoughts you think and all the visualization that you've done to say, 
you know, I, I can't picture this, which, or I don't understand their motivation. Like, how can you not understand their motivation? Right. <laughs> well, and I think it makes, I think being a writer makes me a better editor. Oh, definitely. And I think being an editor makes me a better writer. Yep. yep. Can confirm. So do you ever just have your first pass and say, okay, spell checker for all the things when I was writing so fast, I T-E-H'd instead of T-H-E. Do you use any of the regular tools, Grammarly, et cetera, or are you beyond Grammarly? The Grammarly, I just, I don't pay any attention to because, I, you know, sometimes you need to break the rules. Yeah. Truth? Uh, no, I don't do Grammarly. I'll do spell check as a final after I'm finished with a client's work. Um, I'll do spell check for stuff that I've missed because right. let's face it, there are always typos that you miss, yep. including those very hardy ones that get through and actually get printed. Ah, uh, yes, yes. I always have a, should we as readers, if we ever see, wow, I love this author and everything, and that is an egregious typo that somebody put there at the very beginning of chapter three, so it stands out. Should we tell people? How do we tell people they have a typo in their printed book? Or at least Kindle editions is fairly easy to go back and upload a new edition on Kindle. But, right, right. Right. So but, if it's electronic only format, it's it's easier. And should we? I don't know. It depends on, on what kind of a relationship you want to start with that writer. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> it also depends on what relationship the writer started with their own community. For instance, Yes, I know, John, you're mentioning her again. Ursula Vernon, after she publishes a book, invites people to send her the, the typos and then lets it die off. But her editor is also on that, and they laugh at each other a little bit. But Ursula Vernon has a very congenial relationship with her reader community. And there are other writers who I won't name who are like, no, 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 no. Once that book is gone, it's the publisher's job. Uh, was it Clark or Asimov that was snarkily said that he wrote it perfectly the first time every time? Uh, that sounds like Asimov. It sounds like Asimov, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> which, which is funny because I can't read Asimov. I find him terribly dull. I haven't tried to read Asimov since I was a teenager. Yep, that is, that is the right approach. Gobble him up early and then don't go back. right. That was the same way for me with Heinlein. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really liked him back in middle school and high school. You yes, know? that's when you should like him. Yeah, I did too. And then well, you grow up. And well, there's also the that he seemed to change. And that was why I, I wanted to go sit down with him and take him by the hand and pat it gently and say, where did it go wrong for you? <laughs> I loved The Menace from Earth. What a magnificent set of short stories. The roads must roll, you know. The Door into Summer. These were lovely, lovely, beautiful, tasty books. But Lord Road. Then but you get later into now. Number of the Beast and Stranger in a Strange Land and Job. And he wrote great juveniles. Once he started to get into adult topics, it got messy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I think really the only writer from that period that I go back to um, as an adult is Ray Bradbury. Hmm. What about Ursula Le Guin? I've, Not for a long, long time. Not for a long, long time have I read Ursula Le Guin. I can always read A Wizard in Earthsea. Mostly because I also did never try to see the TV show after I read her comments on it. So, Oh, my helped. God, yes. 
<laughs> I can always read Martian Chronicles, and I can mm-hmm. always read something wicked this way comes. Yeah. Um, those are I loved The Illustrated books. Man, too, for that. The Illustrated Man. As a matter of fact, when I was, uh, when I was in my early teens, I wrote my very first fan letter oh. to Ray Bradbury. And oh, it was wow. about three months, four months, and I actually got a response that was handwritten on his stationery, on his personal stationery. Right. And I remember that it was it was cream colored and in the corner it had a line drawing of Bradbury in front of a bunch of books. And I can't quite remember what he said, but I know I, during my letter, I said, I, I love your stuff. Um, I want to be you one of these days. And he, uh, he was very encouraging and ended up with signing the letter, right, right, right. That's lovely. Um, and I carried that thing from apartment to apartment for a lot of years until in college, uh, I, I was I lost it in a in a in an apartment fire, um, and that was the uh, truly was the only thing that I regretted losing. So, if if a kid were writing to you and saying, "Wow, John, I really love your writing and your expression and your cleverness and your twist of story," what what advice would you write back to them? The same thing: write, write, write. It just because that's the only way makes you learn better. is by doing it. Yeah. Well, we will put links to the books and the topics and the people that we've mentioned on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you so much for being with us today, Jerry. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is Deirdre Sween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is your favorite neighborhood coffee shop where you go to write. And hey, thanks for listening today. Thank you.